Little Women by Louisa M. Alcott One, Playing Pilgrims Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without any presents, grumbled Joe lying on the rug. It's a dreadful thing to be poor, sighed Meg, looking down at her old dress. I don't think it's fair for some girls to have plenty of pretty things and other girls nothing at all, added little Amy with an injured sniff. We got we got father, mother and each other, said Beth contently from her corner. Four young faces on which the firelight shone brightened a cheerful words, but darkened again as Joe said sadly, We haven't got father and shall not have him for a long time. She didn't say, perhaps never, but every... But each suddenly added it, thinking of father far away where the fighting was. Nobody spoke for a minute, and Meg said in an altered tone, You know the reason mother proposed not having any presents this Christmas? Because it's going to be a hard winter for everyone. She thinks we ought not to spend money for pleasure. When our men are suffering so many army, we can't do much, but we can make our little sacrifices. Ought to do it gladly, but I'm afraid I don't. And Meg shook her head as she thought regretfully of all the pretty things she wanted. But I don't think the little we should spend would do any good. We each got a dollar and the army wouldn't be much helped by our giving that. Agree not to expect anything from mother or you. I do want to buy and dine and sell it for myself. I wanted it for so long, said Joe, who was a bookworm. I planned to spend mine... And the new music, said Beth with a little sigh, which no one heard but the heart heath brush and kettle holder. I shall get a nice box of fervors, fervorous drawing pencils. I really need them, said Amy decisively. Mother didn't say anything about our money. She wouldn't wish us to give any, to give up any for everything. Let's each buy what we want. Have a little fun. I'm sure we worked hard enough to earn it, cried Joe, examining the heels of her shoes in a gentlemanly manner. I know I do. Teaching those tiresome children nearly all day when I'm longing to enjoy myself at home, again Meg in a complaining tone again. You don't have half such a half time as I do, said Joe. How would you like to be shut up for hours with a nervous, fussy old lady who keeps you trotting? Is never satisfied and worries you till you're ready to fly out the window or cry. It's naughty to fret, but I do think washing dishes and keeping things tidy is the worst job in the world. It makes me cross and my hands get so stiff I can't practice well at all, said Beth. Looked her rough hands with a sigh that anyone could hear that time. I don't believe any of you suffer as I do, cried Amy. You don't have to go to school, impertinent. Girls who plague you if they don't know your lessons and laugh at your dresses and label your father if he isn't rich and insult you when your nose isn't nice. If you mean, if you mean liberal, I do say so and not talk about labels as I, as if Papa was pickle bottle, advertised Joe laughing. I know what I mean and you don't need to be satirical about it. It's proper to use good words and improve your vocabulary, returned Amy with dignity. Don't pick at one another, children. Don't you wish we had the money Papa lost when we all had little Joe, dear me? How happy we could be 
How happy, how happy and good we could be if he had no worries, said Meg. Who could remember better times? You said that the other day you thought we were a deal happier with the king children the king children, for they were fighting and fretting all the time in spite of their money. So I did, Beth. Well, I think we are, for though we have to work, we make fun of our, for ourselves, and are pretty jolly set, as Joe would say. Joe does use some slang words, observed Amy, with a reproving look at a long figure stretched on a rug, who immediately sat up. And the rat stretched the rug. Joe immediately sat up, put her hands in her pockets, and began to whistle. Don't, Joe, it's so boyish. That's why I do it. I detest rude and lady like ladies. I'm affected nimbly family chit shirts. Birds in a little nest agree, said Rangbeth, peacemaker, with such a happy face, and both sharp voices softened to laugh, and pecking ended for that time. Really, girls, you are both to be blamed said Meg, beginning to lecture her elderly sisterly in her elderly in her elderly sisterly fashion. You are old enough to leave off bodish tricks to behave better, Josephine. It doesn't matter so much when you were a little girl, but now you're so tall you turn your hair. You should remember that you are a young lady. I'm not and if turning my hair makes me one, I'll wear it in two tails till I'm twenty, cried Joe, pulling off her neck and shaking down a chestnut mane. I hate to think i got to grow up and be Miss Marsh and wear long gowns that look as prim as China's Esther. I'm not. It's bad enough to be a girl anyway, but I like boys' games and work manners. I don't get over my disappointment not being a boy. It's worse than ever now. I'm dying to go and fight with Papa. I can only, I can only stay at home and knit like a poultry, pokey old woman. And Joe shook the blue army sock till the needles rather like clasinets. A ball bounded over, bounded across the room. Poor Joe, it's too bad. They can't be. They can't be helped. As you must try to be contented, that you're making your name boyish and playing brother to us girls," said Beth, stroking the rough head, a knee with a hand that was that all the dishwashing and dusting the world could not make ungentle in its touch. As for you, Amy, continued Meg, you're altogether too particular and, and prim. Your airs are funny now. You've grown up to affect little goose, uh, an affected little goose if you don't take care. I take your nice manners and fine ways of speaking. We don't try to be elegant, but you are absurd words. Your said words are as bad as Joe's slang. If Joe is a tomboy and Amy a goose, what am I, I please, asked Beth, ready to share the lecture. You're a dear and nothing else, answered Meg warmly, and no one constructed her, for the mouse was the pet of the family. The young readers like to know how people look. We had to we'll take this moment to give them a little sketch of the four sisters who sat knitting away in the twilight, while the December snow fell quietly without. The fire crackled carefully within. It's a comfortable room. Though the carpet was faded and the furniture very plain, for a good picture or two hung on the walls, books filled with recesses. Chrysanthemums and Christmas roses bloomed in the windows. A pleasant atmosphere of heaven, home peace, prevented it. 
Margaret, the eldest of the four, was sixteen, and very pretty, being plump and fair, with large eyes, plenty of soft brown hair, a sweet mouth and white hands, of which she was rather vain. Fifteen-year-old Joe was very tall, thin and brown, and reminded one of a colt. She was never seemed to know what to do with her long limbs, which were very much in her way. She had a decided mouth, a comical nose and sharp grey eyes, which appeared to see everything and were by turns fierce, funny or thoughtful. Her long, thick hair was so was her own one beauty, but it was unusually bundled into her net to be out of her way. Round shoulders had Joe, big hands and feet, a fly-away look, her clothes and uncomfortable appearance of a girl who was rapidly shooting up into a woman and didn't like it. Elizabeth, or Beth, as one, everyone called her, was a rosy, smooth-haired, bright-eyed girl, a thirteen with a shy manner, a timid voice of peaceful expression, who was seldom disturbed. Her father called her little tranquility, and they suited her excellently, for she seemed to live in a happy world of her own, only venturing out to meet the people whom she trusted and loved. Amy, though the youngest, was the, was a most important person, in her own opinion, at least. At least, a regular show maiden, with blue eyes and yellow hair, curling on her shoulders, pale and slender, always carrying herself like a young lady, mindful of manners. What the characters of the four sisters were, we will leave to be found out. The clock struck six, and having swept up the heath, Beth put a pair of slippers down and not to warm. Somehow, in a slight of sight of the old shoes, the good enough effect upon the girls. The mother was coming. Everyone brightened to welcome her. Meg stopped lecturing and blighted the lamp. Amy got out the easy out of the easy chair without being asked, and Joe forgot how tired she was as he sat up to hold her slippers near nearer to the blaze. They're quite worn out. My mammy must have a new pair. I put thought I'll get her some for my with my dollar, said Beth. No, I shall, cried Amy. I am the oldest man, Meg. But Joe cut it in with a, with a decided, I am the man of our family. Now, Papa is away. I should provide the slippers. He told me to take special care of her while he's gone. I'll tell you what we'll do, said Beth. Let's each get her something for Christmas and not anything, and not get anything for ourselves. That's like you. That's like, that's like you, dear. What will we get? exclaimed Joe. They won't fall soberly for a moment, minute. And Meg announced, as if the idea was suggested by the sight of her own pretty hands, I shall give her a nice pair of gloves. Amy shoes best to be had, cried Joe. Some handkerchiefs all hemmed, said Beth. Let's get a little bottle of cologne, she likes it. I won't, it won't cost much. I have some left to buy it my pencils, added Amy. How will we give the things, asked Meg. Put them on the table, bring them in, see how open the bundles. Don't you remember how we used to do it on our birthdays, answered Joe. They used to be so frightened when it was my turn to sit in the big chair, crown, and I see you all come marching around to give the presents with a kiss. I like the things and the kisses, but it was dreadful to have you, you sit looking at me while I opened my bundles, said Beth, who was toasting her face and bread for tea at the same time. Then, Mammy! Think we're getting things for ourselves and then surprise her. We must go shopping tomorrow afternoon. Meg, there's much, so much to do about a play for Christmas night, said Joe, marching up and down with her hands behind her back and nose in the air. 
don't mean to act any more after this time. I'm going into the mall for such things as other men, who is not as much a child as ever about, dressing up for Ricks. You must won't stop I know as long as you can trail around in a white gown, with your hair down, a wear gold paper jewelry. You're the best actress we got, and we'll be at an end of everything if you quit the balls, said Joe. We ought to be hers tonight. Come here, Amy, and do the fainting scene, for you are as stiff as a poker in that. I can't help it. I never saw anyone faint. I don't choose to make myself all black and blue, trembling flat as you do. If I can go down easily, I'll drop. If I can't, I shall fall in a chair and be graceful. I don't care if you go does those down does come after me with a pistol and tell Amy was not gifted dramatic power. I was chosen because she's small enough to be born, born out shrieking by the villain of the piece. Do it this way, clasp your hands up and stagger across the room, crying frankly, Go, 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 save me, save me, away, went Joe and ran a traffic scream, which is truly thrilling. Amy followed as she poked her hands out stiffly before her. She jerked herself along as if she went by machinery, her owl was most more suggestive of pins being run into them to fear of fear and anguish. Joe gave a despairing groan and Meg laughed outright, while Beth let her bread burn as she watched the fun with interest. It's like this. Do the best you can. When the time comes, if the audience laughs, don't blame me. Come on, Meg. And things went smoothly for Don Pedro. Defiled the world in a sweep for two pages, but a single break. Hey, got the witch trotted on an awful incantation after a careful simmering toads. A weird effect. Odigo rent his chains asunder mentally, but he could die in agonies of remorse and arsenic. With a wild ha-ha, it's the best we have had yet, said Meg, as a dead villain sat up and rubbed her at his elbows. Let's see how you can write and act to the friend of things, Joe. Your regular Shakespeare exclaimed Beth, who firmly believed that her sister gifted with wonderful geniuses and all things, not quite replied Joe Monsey. I do think that the witch's curse and her operatic tragedy is rather a nice thing, but I'd like to try Macbeth if I only had a door for a brain Jerobo. I always wanted to do the killing part. Is that the dagger that I see before me? By the Joe rolling her eyes and clutching at the air, so she as if she'd been a famous tragedian do do see the tra- famous tragedian do. No, it's the filthy fault with mother's shoe on it instead of the bread. Beth strange struck by Meg, and the, the, the rehearsal ended in a general burst of laughter. Glad to find you so merry, my girl, said a true voice. The door and the actors and audience turned. Welcome a tall, lovely lady. Well, can I help you look? At her, which is truly delightful. She's not legally dressed by a noble-looking woman. The girls thought the grainy coat with her fashion bonnet covered the most splendid mother in the world. Well, dears, have you got... Have how have you got on today? There's so much to do getting the boxes ready for tomorrow. I didn't come home. I didn't come home for dinner. Didn't come home to dinner. Has anyone called Beth? How is your uncle cold, Meg? Joe, you look tired to death. Come and kiss me, baby. While making his man to burial quarries, Miss March got her wet things off. A wet warm slippers on. Sitting down, the easy chair drew Amy to her lap. 
and preparing to enjoy the happiest hour of the busy day. Girls flew about, trying to make things comfortable, each in her own way. Maybe arranged the tea table, drove up wood, and set chairs, driving over to him and tackling everything she touched. They trotted to and fro between the hall and kitchen, quite busy. I even gave directions to everyone. She sat with her hands folded. They gathered around the table, Miss March said with a particularly happy face. I've got a treat for you after supper. A quick, bright smile went around. We streaked the sunshine. Left out her hands regardless of the biscuits we held. And Joe tossed her up her napkin, crying, A letter, a letter. Three cheers for Father. Yes, a nice long letter. He is as well. Thinks he shall get through the cold season better than we feared. He sends all sorts of loving wishes for Christmas. A pleasure message to you girls, said Miss Marsh, patting her pocket as if he got a treasure there. Hurrying, hang it done. Don't stop the quirk. Quirk. My little finger and skip over it. Here your plate, Amy, cried Joe, choking in her tea. And dropping her bread, buttered side down on the carpet in her haste to get them to the treat. A treat left was ate no more. Then she crept away to sit in a sherry corner and brood of a delight to come. The lovers were ready. I think it was so splendid. Your father go to Chapman. We are too old to be drafted. Not strong enough for a soldier, said Madam warmly. Don't I wish I could go as a drummer? A Vivian? What is his name? Or a nurse? So I could be near him and help him, said Joe McGrone. I must be very discreet. I must be very discreet, Stephen Tent. Eat all sorts of bad tasty things. Drink of a tin mug, said Amy. Along, when will he come home? Mammy me, asked Beth, with a little quiver in her voice. Not for many months, dear, unless he's sick. He will stay and do his work faithfully as long as he can. We don't ask for him back. A minute sooner than then he can be spared. Now come and read his letter. They all drew to the fire. Mother in a big chair with Beth at her feet. Meg and mine perched on either arm of the left chair. The Joe leaning on her back. Where no one could see any sign of emotion. The letter should happen to be touching. Very few letters were written in those hard times that were not touching. Just those which father sent home. It's one little was said of hardships endured, the dangerous face of homesickness conquered its cheerful, hopeful letter, full of lively descriptions of campfire, marches, military news. Only in the end did the writer's heart overflow with father's love and longing the little girls at home. Give him all my dear love and kisses. Tell him I think of them by day, pray for them by night, and find my best comfort in their affection at all times. Yet it seems very long to wait, but I see them I remind them that we'll, we, while we wait, we may all work, so these their hard days need not be wasted. I knew they would remember, I never remember all I said to them. They will be loving children to you. We'll do their duty faithfully, fight their frozen enemies bravely, and conquer themselves superbly. That when I come back to them, I may be fonder and prouder than even ever by of my little women, my little women. Everyone sniffed when they came to that part. Joe wasn't ashamed of the great tear that dropped off the end of her nose. Amy never minded rumbling for curls as she hid her face on her mother's shoulder and sobbed out. I was a selfish girl. I would truly try to be better. So you yeah, must have, may have be disappointed in me 
by and by. We all, we all will, cried Vag. I think too much of my looks and I hate to work. It doesn't, I won't any more if I can help it. I try and be what he loves to call me, a little woman, and not enough, not be rough or wild, but do my duty here instead of wanting to be somewhere else. Said Joe, thinking that keeping the temper home was a much harder task than facing a rebel too down south. Ever said nothing but right by her tears, the blue army sock began to knit with all her might, losing no time in doing the duty. A lady nearest uh, which, while she's heard in a quiet little soul, to be all that father hoped to find her when a year brought round the happy coming home. Miss March broke the silence. They followed Joe's words by saying in a cheery voice, Do you remember how you used to play Pilgrim's Progress with your little things? Nothing like you knew more than to have me tie my bags on your backs for burdens, give you hats and sticks and rolls of paper, and let you travel from the house in the cellar, which is city of destruction, up to the house stop, where you had all the lovely things you could take to make this special city. What fun it was, especially going up to line, going by the lines, fighting a polyvian and passing through the valley where the hobgoblins were to Joe, a later place where the bundles fell off the top downstairs to make. My favourite part was when we came out of the first floor where our flowers and arbours, pretty things were, and all stood at the tongue for joy there in the sunshine, said Meg, but said Beth, flying if, if that pleasant moment come back to her. I don't remember much about it, except I was afraid of sudden dark entry. I always liked the cake and milk we had out of the top. If I wasn't too old for such things, if I would like to play it over again, so then you began to talk of renouncing childish things to the age of twelve. We're never too old for this, my dear. Because if it's playing on playing, all the same, one way or another, our burdens are here, our road is before us. Longing for goodness and happiness is a guide that leads us through many troubles and mistakes to the peace, which is the true celestial city. Now, my little program, suppose you begin again, not in play, but earnest, and see how far you can get before Father comes home. Really, Mother? Where are you that are bundles? asked Amy, who was a very literal young lady. Each of you told who you told what your burden was just now, said Beth. I rather think she hasn't got any, said her mother. Yes, I have mine. Dishes and dusters. Emily and girls with nice pianos and being afraid of people. Beth's bundle was not was such a funny one. Everyone wanted to laugh, but nobody did, for it would have hurt her feelings very much. Let us do it, said Meg thoughtfully. If there's only another name for trying to be good, a story would help us, could help us. For though we do not want, do want to be good, it's hard work and we forget it. We forget, we don't do our best. We were in a slough of despond tonight. A mother came and pulled us out, as help did in the book. We ought to have our, our role of distractions like Christmas. What shall we do after that? Asked Joe, delighted with a fancy, which lent a little romance to the little, very dull task doing the duty. Look under your pillows Christmas morning. You will find your good guide. You will find your guidebook, replied Miss March. They talked over the new plan while old Hannah cleared a table. And out came the four little 
work baskets and the needles flew. The girls made sheets for aunts. March, it was an interesting sewing. But the night no one grumbled. They adopted to his plan, dividing the long seams four parts and calling the quarters of Europe, Europe, Asia, Africa, America. In a way, in that way, got on capitally, especially when they talked about the different countries so as they stitched their way through, through them. At nine they stopped work and sung as usual, before they went to bed. No one but Beth could get much music out of the old piano, but she had a way of softly touching the yellow keys, making a pleasant compliment the simple songs they sung, making the voice like a flute. And she and her mo- mother led the little choir. Amy chirped like a cricket, and Joe wandered through the airs at her own s- sweet will, always coming out the wrong place will croak or quiver at spot the most pensive time. June. They have always done this for the time they could lisp. Crinkle, crinkle, turtle, tar. It became a household custom. The mother was a born singer. First sound in the morning was her voice. As she went about the house singing like a lark, last sound at night was a dangerous sound for the girls. Never grew too old for that familiar lullaby.